BFA 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 The Fiber Project Finance, Tech and Innovation Presented in collaboration with Quartz Africa Hello and welcome to The Gig Is Up, a BFA Global podcast on the future of work. I'm your host, Damien Milverton. In this series, we're going to take you inside the world of BFA Global's Fibre project, which has been working for the past four years to accelerate financial inclusion in emerging markets. We're going to talk to experts in finance, tech and development, explore the day-to-day experience of workers, entrepreneurs and startups in Kenya's capital Nairobi, and give you a bird's eye view of how technology is transforming emerging economies and what the rest of the world can learn from them. If you're living in a country where you're used to being able to take advantage of Amazon Prime, I'd like you to try a little mental exercise with us. Think of the last thing you bought online. How long did it take you to buy it? How did you pay? How long did it take to arrive? And in what shape? I'm willing to guess it was all pretty easy, seamless even, but in most of the world, that's not the reality. Even in big cities like Nairobi, e-commerce is a whole lot more complicated. The logistics of deliveries in places with largely unbanked populations and poor infrastructure, the famous last mile customers, means that even mammoth companies like Amazon just aren't able to guarantee quick, cheap delivery to these areas. This is a huge problem for companies and consumers alike who want to take advantage of the global economy but don't have access to a giant market. Despite its appeal, e-commerce is still too costly and risky, and frankly, it's too cumbersome. But based on local savvy and lessons from abroad, there are some companies finding ways to fix that key issue of access, reaching this last mile and unlocking growth for themselves and these economies. To get a clearer sense of how e-commerce operates in Africa, I spoke to Yinka Adegoke, Africa editor at Quartz, to find out more. The thing that's interesting about e-commerce in Africa is obviously the initial scepticism about whether this is needed. Do we have a developed enough retail market in the first place before we move this all online? But uh, eventually, it starts to serve a purpose in the market. You think about the way it started in the States. It was around books and media. And it kind of happened at a different stage in, in most African cities where it was more about phones, getting hold of phones. Where can we compare prices? on phones rather than going to an informal market and negotiating on prices and trying to figure out how much these things cost. But now you could actually order them. And and that was the very early success of e-commerce in a lot of countries. So it's really about price, information and convenience bringing up the rear. Yeah. I mean, the thing about convenience is it's a broader issue of infrastructure and the ability to be able to get things to people quickly and conveniently. It's a lot more difficult Our team in Nairobi visited the offices of Jumia. Jumia's IPO launch earlier this year was met with a lot of excitement and anticipation as Africa's first tech unicorn, citing itself as the only successful pan-African e-commerce operator whose multiple business lines include food delivery, real estate and travel in addition to retail. Here's Abdesalam Benzatouni, Head of Communications at Jumia. Jumia is uh, the leading pan-African platform present across 14 countries. We believe that the logistic, for instance, we have today is something really unique in Africa and one of the strongest assets for us. The consumers are looking for good products, 
best price and delivery on time. And this is one of the biggest challenge for logistics. When you live in Kenya, for instance, you know how traffic is crazy. 200 million of USD are lost every year due to the traffic jam impact on productivity. You see how logistics is important for customers and for uh, sellers, for everybody. That's why e-commerce can be relevant. Think back again for a second to your most recent experience with e-commerce, or with Amazon Prime in particular. Now we'd like to show you what it might be like if you wanted to buy something simple online in a country like Kenya. Shirley Mburu and Carmen Murab work in BFA Global's office in Nairobi, and we asked them to buy something from Jumia for the office. Something nice, simple, but essential. Here's Shirley. The office, we've been wanting to get a chalkboard where we could indicate when we travel or motivational quotes for each other. That's totally my idea, not everyone, anyone else's idea. <laughs> they do not agree. Yet. So uh, what I'd want to order for the office is a blackboard. A motivational blackboard. Brilliant. I've just typed in jumia.co.k, so I'll just search for chalkboard. So I have found actually two options. And it's from Jumia Global, which is the global market. So the seller is not in Kenya. On Jumia, there are a lot of global sellers, just like any international marketplace. But buying from a global seller and shipping to Africa can be a lot more difficult than it is in other parts of the world. Logistical issues can make getting your items a real pain, no matter how important for, well, office productivity. So the last time I ordered from Jumia Global, my goods took really long to arrive, almost a month. Although it was anticipated to be about 25 days, there was a holiday in China and that affected deliveries. So it took almost a month. I consider Jumia Global just a bit more risky. And then there's another option and it's from a local vendor. On Jumia especially, there are a lot of different ways you can get your goods from local vendors. Take, for example, the Boda Boda, which is a motorcycle taxi that's ubiquitous in Nairobi. Jumia also has vendor pickup stations that are strategically placed warehouses all over the city. Hello. Or you can just get packages delivered to an address. But even with that option, you're going to have to be pretty motivated to get your delivery. I thought Jumia would be a good way to shop for all my household needs. So I decided to try and just buy a few items that were considerably cheaper on the platform than if I went to my local vendor. So I took items or I ordered items from different vendors, so not from the same store on Jumia. And they happened to come on different days with different delivery people asking me where I am. So I spent a good day of my time just coordinating to pick six items. You see, one of the issues here is that delivery infrastructure is less reliable in Africa. Take, for example, the simple issue of an address. It's actually not that simple. Oftentimes, things are described by what street they're on and then various landmarks that are nearby. The locals, Hello. the local boda boda drivers and the people who live there know where they're going, but they need to constantly confirm where exactly to go once they're nearby. And that can end up being a lot of back and forth. So they're supposed to be reviews, but I've clicked on the Blackboard on the global platform and there's not a single review, so there are no ratings. And that could be one of the issues. Even when there are ratings, there are usually not many ratings. Now, besides just the fact that it would take a month to get this chalkboard from China, one of the reasons a lot of African consumers specifically want a local seller is that they want to check out the product and make sure that it's what they thought they were buying. 
With the Boda Boda driver, for example, they can actually pay cash on delivery and they can also get to take a look at the product and make sure that it's what they were expecting. In some cases, they can send it back if the item is not up to scratch. When it comes to e-commerce in Africa, having a way for the customer to verify is really important. Let me click on the other one that is a local seller. And once again, there is no rating. It's a gamble. I think I'll just order the one from the local supplier because it will arrive soon enough. Oh, proceed to checkout. <laughs> Shows the delivery method. I could also have it delivered to the office and it would come in on Friday. But it depends. Sometimes when they say because I've given you a range of dates, it might not arrive tomorrow. It might actually arrive on Tuesday. That would be disappointing. Yeah. Good thing the dispatcher is motivated to make the delivery. I could pay with our local M-Pesa, which is a mobile money platform that is ubiquitous in Kenya. Then there's Jumia Pay. Oh, there is an option for Jumia Pay. Do you want to try that? Yeah, I've never tried that. Mm -hmm. So Jumia Pay was recently launched and I know they were planning to launch it in Kenya. I just didn't know that it was up and running. Your payment is safe and if anything goes wrong, we've got your back. So it says you will receive a prompt on your mobile number to enter a PIN to authorize your payment request. I'm waiting. Tick tock. Did you get it? So it says, congratulations, your order was successfully submitted. It shows the amount, but I, I haven't made any payment. So I don't know if it's really gone through. Let me see if I got the email. Hmm. They have a hotline number. It says, let us help you. Help center, contact us. The best price I can get, that's why I shop on Jumia. Welcome to Jumia, Kenya's number one online retailer. For information about our services, please visit www.jumia.co.ke forward slash help forward slash. Alternatively, please press one to proceed with your request. To listen again, press one. To hang up, press three. For we'll check in on their progress after this. Kenya is the home to M-Pesa. It started more than a decade ago, and today it's the most successful mobile money service in Africa. Thanks to services like M-Pesa, in sub-Saharan Africa, mobile money accounts surpass the number of regular bank accounts. More money moves over mobile phones in sub-Saharan Africa than in any other region. It represents an astonishing 46% of all global activity in mobile money. As a result, mobile money, not bank cards, is at the heart of digital payments in Africa. So what about Jumia Pay? That was our question to Juan Seco, COO at Jumia. Jumia Pay, or Jumia Financial Services as we like to call it, was actually built out of a need to make payments easier on Jumia. So Jumia Pay is the aggregator to find a one-stop shop where all your payment methods are available. We originally started with cash and delivery. It's still available as a payment method to build the trust. There's still a, a large growth path ahead, and we're still bringing a lot of people online, and that's how we're doing it. Why is Jumia Pay different in that sense? From a customer perspective, it's simpler, and from an operational perspective, to pay ahead. That's how really an e-commerce transaction should happen, right? You see something, you like it, you pay it, you get it. We're trying to say to the customers, you know, with Jumia Pay, we are building infrastructure to, to make sure that you trust also the payments online the same way that you trusted the e-commerce transaction. 
it allows us to partner much better with financial institutions that are working with us to enable their payment methods and work together. And then it allows us to develop certain features or financial products that are not yet available, like installments that are not credit card based. There's no credit cards in most of the markets or there are very few. Beyond cash, mobile money is the predominant way people and businesses transact in Africa. As a highly trusted payment method, any service provider, e-commerce or otherwise, would be remiss in not offering mobile money as an option. Here's Amalo Ngueno, CEO of BFA Global and Fibre Project Director. Cash on delivery is very important in e-commerce in Africa because people are so nervous about, is this real? And they're not confident that they will get the right goods and they'll be the thing they ordered or arrive at all. And so they want to pay when they receive the goods. And that's common all over Africa. So I do remember there were long lines to pay your electricity bill, for example. Every month you'd have to go and stand in this long line to pay your bill. And then there were checks, which would take forever to clear, and then sometimes they don't clear. And we've kind of forgotten about all of those things. Can you just introduce new currency notes six weeks ago? And I have never touched them, and I don't really know what they look like because I just only use M-Pesa. And it's pretty much works for almost all formal functions and most informal purposes as well. So it's hard to remember what it was like, but it was more difficult and annoying. I think what the researchers showed is now there's some 20% of the population who are not still not using M-Pesa, and those are the most rural, the least educated, and the poorest. The last mile is a commonly used term around the world for network industries, cell phone network, electricity, logistics. They all work really well in cities. And as soon as you get out of the areas that are most supplied with infrastructure, you start running into the problem of the last mile, which is the expensive part. So shipping something from the port of Shanghai to Mombasa probably costs the same as shipping it on the road from Mombasa to Nairobi, which costs the same as shipping it from Nairobi to the rural village, which also costs the same as shipping from the village to your home in the mountains. So the last mile is just full of all kind of high costs, operational problems, and lack of access. It's a problem that certainly affects e-commerce and affects the distribution and delivery of everything. Let's hear from Yinker on this topic. When you talk about e-commerce in the United States or in Europe, well, the thing is that so much of the infrastructure on which these companies operate already exists. The roads are all nice and smooth and the traffic's reasonable. All the homes have good, clear postal addressing systems. There are many cities, some of the biggest cities in Africa, where once you leave you know, the downtown inner part of the city and you start to get to the outskirts, these things don't exist. Uh, so when you say you're serving a city like Lagos with 20 million people, how many people can you really reach? It's easier for people to get to your website websites online via their phones than it is for you to get that phone to them on the outskirts of the suburbs of Lagos. They've, you know, they've adapted, they've had people on motorcycles and all this kind of stuff, but it's been tough. There's some good operators that are, you know, sort of serving their market. One of those companies is Sendi. We went to their offices in Nairobi to learn more about their approach to these issues. How are they, a company whose entire business relies on shipping and finding ways to send things, solving these problems? Send is a platform. We are a tech company that is optimizing the logistics sector. 
we believe that trade should be easy and everybody should participate in trade and nobody should be locked out because it's too expensive to trade. Before Sendi, there was no reliable uh, logistics partner. If you are an organization, you would buy a fleet. And then by so doing, it becomes really expensive because you build a logistics team around that, a fleet management team, a transport management team. And it's very interesting, in one organization, they had more of a bigger transport team than the core business team. So yes, Sandy has invested in infrastructure, especially towards last mile. So one of the things that we've done is what we call setting up caravans. You can call it a mobile office, you can call it a mobile warehouse or hub, where um, items that are sent from major towns are able to get into a very remote area or even an area that is very hard to penetrate. Now, once it gets to that particular hub, which is owned by Sandy, then that hub is used two ways. One, it could be a collection center, which means we've taken it as close as possible to the consumer, or it could be a drop-off zone, where somebody who wants to send to Nairobi can come and drop it off. But more importantly, because we don't wish our customers to keep on coming and you know picking it from there, we want to give them a, an awesome experience. From there, we can employ a local person who knows the terrain very well or knows the geography very well, and they can pick up that package and deliver. Now, if I focus a bit on the old traditional logistics companies, these are the likes of DHL, FedEx, UPS, and it can go on and on and on. One of the things that they're not able to do is what we do. Most of them focus on consolidation, physical consolidation in particular facilities they call hubs or gateways. And then from there, that physical consolidation is then put into a bulk. The bulk gets on a certain place and then it's broken and then separated and delivered. Whereas it's an efficient way of doing logistics, it also poses huge costs, which are passed on to the customer, but also they're not able to deliver very fast. Now, Sandy does that, and that is one situation that they're not able to handle very well. We can deliver very fast, which works perfectly for e-commerce. When thinking about the most common experience with rapid delivery, such as Amazon Prime, we described it as seamless. But this seamless customer experience relies on solid, proven infrastructure. African pathfinders like Jumia also have to build consumer trust in e-commerce, as well as a distribution network. That trust is ultimately what will unleash the pent-up demand and drive consumption in the future. In parts of Africa, Jumia is already one of the biggest companies relying on this potential growth. Here's Sam Chapat, CEO of Jumia Kenya. We've basically gone from zero to where we are today. I mean, the industry has basically started with the launch of Jumia, more or less, and has been growing fast. I'd say as an industry, more or less doubling in size year on year. Today, e-commerce penetration stands at something around 1% to 2% of retail. Picture that in the wider global scheme of US being around 15%, China being 25%. So it's early days. And if we zoom out and we look at other parts of the world, you can see a very consistent penetration growth of e-commerce. So actually around years eight, nine, 10, you start to see a hockey stick of e-commerce penetration. Why? I think it's just human nature. Like when enough people have tested and tried it in your sort of friends group, you grow confidence and you start doing it, right? And actually that's, that's what's happened elsewhere. And so we think that the wave is coming and is accelerating. In this part of the world, we have the biggest room for growth. You know, many people are buying on Jumia their first fridges because we are opening up the market and introducing new brands, which brings down the price of the fridge. That means that a mother now has a day where she can work and earn a second income for the family. 
as opposed to being cooking all day. So like, it's very meaningful, like access to products and driving price competition on the customer side. And on the vendor side, it's about giving people the opportunity of creating second incomes for sure. So side hustles are a big thing. And that's, that's definitely part of our vendor base. We are opening up our platform and investing in small entrepreneurs. We're working with you know, 15,000 SMEs in Kenya, hundreds, you know, 100 plus signing up a day, as well as working with the big brands like Carrefour, like uh, L'Oreal, etc. It's difficult because on the one side, we are building out the infrastructure as we go. So, you know, in other parts of the world, you can just plug into payments providers and you can plug into logistics providers. You don't really have that in our markets. So we had to build out the infrastructure. That's one thing. I think a second difficult thing is we're growing fast. We'd love to go faster. And fundamentally, there are two things that we need to try and tackle. One is trust. We need to build trust in the online world and in online shopping. And the second thing is education. Again, you're in a part of the world where, let's say, generously 10 years, if not less, there wasn't really internet penetration. Like that's really come about with the proliferation of the smartphone. So people have gone in one generation in a matter of five, six years from not really being online at all to now you know, trying to learn how to use services that took 25 years to grow in the US. Another thing that we've done, which I think is quite different in this part of the world, is, is we've opened up offline touch points. So I think in, in most parts of the world, e-commerce is a purest digital thing. In this part of the world, we need to build trust and we need to educate customers. And one way that we do that is by opening up physical stores. And customers come in and ask how to place orders. The attendants help them place orders. Then you know, they can get a door delivery, they can get a pickup, whatever. But it's a very good way to help educate the market. Luckily for us, it was a very special day at one of the local pickup stations. If you're ready, say yeah. Yeah. So do all of you know how to buy? All right. You see it, buy it. It is a TVS star border border from car in general for only 100 bob. If you're on the Jumia app, this is only on the Jumia app right now here at Cantaria. So I was demonstrating to the team on how to order goods on Jumia and we yeah. went onto your platform and tried to order a chalkboard. When I got to the payment aspect, I selected Jumia Pay and then it said that the message would come onto my phone where I'd put in my PIN, yeah. but that never happened. Yeah. And it indicated that someone would contact me and then maybe I got an email saying that my order did not go through. Yeah. So the payment did not happen yeah. and so my order did not go through. Yeah. I tried to use the call center number that you have, but then um, it said that I'll be attended to or something and then did not go through to someone. So I went to the customer care number, which I realized was the same. Same one, yeah. Yeah. And for a while now, I think I've tried the customer care number. It doesn't go through. Really? I'm very surprised. Let's test it right now. Let's test it. <laughs> Let's check. Thank goodness for that. I mean, here's Carmen again. 
So Jumi also has a number for call to order, which I want to try. To place an order, press 1. Hypnotic, isn't it? It makes me want to just take a step back for a moment and think about the broader picture. When regarding Africa's potential in any sense, there's always the need to remind ourselves of its incredible diversity, its unique history, and its mind-boggling expanse. In South Africa alone, there are 11 official languages and many others that aren't recognised as official. Its geography is also incredibly varied, and while millions of South Africans have migrated to major cities like Johannesburg or Durban, there are still more people spread throughout rural areas and often in quite remote areas. But in these ways, Africa isn't that unusual at all. Alibaba founder Jack Ma recently said of Africa's e-commerce emergence that it resembled that of China's 20 years ago. So the challenge might just be that it's simply early in Africa's e-commerce evolution, rather than there are these unsolvable, intractable problems in traversing distance, grappling with language, and facilitating payments. You said it went right through? Went right through. <laughs> Hi, this is Carmen speaking. I would like to make an order and I just wanted to find out how I can do it from the phone. Okay, kindly uh, for general inquiries, uh, you will uh, select, I'll transfer you to. But if I want to order, isn't this the right line to do that? Yes. So how do I make an order then? I can assist you from my side. Okay. Yes, the name of the item? It's a wall blackboard sticker. Wall? Blackboard sticker, sticker yes. It was there for how much? 1173 and 1173 where are you at riverside drive that is in nairobi yes i found it wall blackboard stickers truck wall decal mm -hmm. black yes how many pieces one one yes yes uh, something else um no that's it yeah where do you want it to be delivered to to riverside drive riverside drive yes nairobi yeah and you'll be paying m pesa on delivery okay can I pay cash or is it only in PESA? Yeah, yeah, I can do cash, but I'm delivery associate. They don't accept cash. Okay. And when can I expect delivery? Between Saturday and Monday of next week. Um, so I'm only available Friday tomorrow and then Monday, not Saturday or Sunday. Anybody home? So if it is not delivered that day, it will be delivered on Monday. Okay. Thank you. So we wait for our package and see if it arrives on Monday. Exciting. One of the things we heard from consumers, workers, and companies alike is the need to establish trust in e-commerce. E-commerce is becoming a normal part of everyday life, and that goes a long way in establishing a trend of growth for large companies. But without the trust of customers, small businesses can't participate in the growing culture of e-commerce. And that's a lot of people who are missing out on an opportunity for upward mobility. Logistical issues add another much more physical obstacle for the small business owner. Getting products to sell, shipping, marketing, access to capital, managing inventory, these are all problems they have to deal with as well. SokoWatch is a local company in Nairobi working to simplify the supply chain for these small businesses. They worked with the Fibre Project to come up with some novel ideas on how to fill those gaps. 
My name is Daniel Yu. I am the CEO and founder of SokoWatch. SokoWatch is a B2B e-commerce business with integrated logistics and financial services. SokoWatch provides free same-day delivery of essential goods like rice, soap, toothpaste to small informal merchants and allows them, once we build up an order history, to actually get goods on credit, on financing as well. Right now, an informal merchant in Kenya, across Africa, they have to actually source inventory themselves, which requires the shopkeeper to physically leave their store, travel across town or even to a whole other city to buy inventory at a wholesaler. That wastes a huge amount of time, adds a lot to their cost of operations. And so with SokoWatch, they're able to place an order either through app or through text message and get those goods delivered same day free of charge to the store. On top of that, these merchants typically don't have bank accounts. They don't have access to loans, to lines of credit. So actually growing their business becomes really challenging. And that's where once we've established an ordering relationship with merchants, we're able to extend to them this line of credit, these financial services that nobody else is willing to give them. And that actually helps them grow their overall order volume with us as well. The average transaction of somebody coming to these shops to buy something is about 30 cents. So it's usually somebody who's buying one pack of soap, one pack of toilet paper. So really small purchases, which they, they call here the Kidogo economy. Kidogo literally means small. So it's everything in small bite-sized transactions, but in aggregate, this is huge. This is uh, over 80% of the retail space in Africa, which if you just look at the informal retail segment and the consumer goods that are sold through that, it's over $600 billion a year in Africa alone. I had a chance to sit down with the head of soap and detergents for a very large global manufacturer. And what he told me was, if you look at the African consumer economy, a full 50% of the population is actually still not in a place where they can regularly afford to buy their 20-cent pack of soap. So you think about you've got 50% of the population, over half a billion people, who still can't affordably buy a pack of soap per day, but who are, in fact, the fastest-growing population in terms of income growth. And once you reach that stage where you have a dollar or two a day of disposable income, then actually buying these essential consumer goods on a regular basis becomes possible. And that's really where we expect to see that $600 billion a year that's currently spent in informal retail actually get up to a trillion dollars a year. I think the ultimate strategy for how e-commerce and digitalized commerce in general is going to penetrate the African market is going to be at the small business level. So if you look at just the sheer level of complexity that's involved in getting goods to market, and you think about the universal footprint of these informal businesses, these mom and pop stores on every corner, on every street, what that results in is you have a ratio of about one of these mom and pop stores for every 100 individuals in the population. So if you think about the population of Africa overall being over a billion people and actually figuring out how do you reach a billion people with your logistics service and with your goods, if you instead think about that problem as reaching 10 million merchants, all of a sudden you get the same reach but at 1% the complexity. You're not ever going to be able to profitably deliver 20 cents worth of soap to a household. What you are going to be able to do is profitably deliver $20 worth of soap to the corner shop who is serving the 100 people in their community. Right now, the average SokoWatch merchant who comes into our credit program starts off ordering about $160 a month worth of goods from us. What we see over time is that once you give that shop a line of credit, 
And this is really microcredit lines that are ranging from $15 to $200 worth of goods that allows the shopkeeper to order from us and get their delivery the same way they would otherwise, but gives them a period to pay later. Right now, that's scheduled at one week. And what we find is that the average merchant within that actually increases their purchases with us by about 2.3 times within a five-month period. So you've got a shop who starts off ordering $160 a month from us, and by month five, they're ordering $380 from us. What we really see in that is unlocking that growth potential where the shop before could only afford to buy that $160 worth of goods, but just with that $15 to $200 line of credit, they're unlocking this huge growth that ultimately demonstrates that there's huge potential in this informal market space that's not being met by the financial services that are currently formally offered in the market. Absolutely, global players will come in and invest huge amounts of money to provide services to the market because the market opportunity is just so immense and, and, is, and is going to be unstoppable over the next few decades. The, the reality is that Africa is going to have a larger population than both China and India by 2030. The growth of the market is such that it's the last frontier for business. And so the difference is going to be how those services are delivered. So what's the future hold for e-commerce in Africa? Here's Amlo again. If we turn back the clock to before there was M-Pesa, we were all in the last mile. We were all wasting our time spending a day paying an electricity bill and so on. So I think the sleeping giant analogy is quite good. We have rising GDP growth in Africa. We have a youthful population. We have rising levels of education, therefore also of aspiration. The cell phone network coverage is rapidly approaching 100% in most countries. So there's a huge latent demand for everything, for jobs, for uh, consumer goods, for entertainment, for participation in that digital economy. There's a huge market to be won. It's somewhat a future market. It's this giant youth bulge that is starting in the African countries and likely to crest in the 2030s. People who get a good foothold now, there's a long wave of growth that they could be riding. But the conditions now are still hard. You have to have a certain appetite for risk and adventure. As offerings like free two-day delivery and Uber Eats change the way we interact with the economy, it's important to make sure small businesses in places like Nairobi aren't left out. Homegrown startups like Soka Watch and Sendy, who understand the nuances of their markets and their customer friction points, are applying clever solutions and workarounds with success. This is just a fraction of the increasing number of highly sophisticated African-centric players in e-commerce. At Quartz Africa, Yinka has been able to develop a broad view of this evolution and he advised that companies like these and global entrants such as Alibaba and Amazon think really carefully about which cities to target and what demands they're actually trying to meet. And for now, well-positioned home teams like Jumia and SokaWatch welcome the arrival of more e-commerce players as additive forces and potential partners rather than a zero-sum market. This last point is critical because it flies in the face of what we've seen in some other markets. The US model or the Chinese or the European experience can't be readily imported and unwrapped in Africa. But we know that given the size of the African market, companies will try and try again until they succeed and their success might well light the fuse for the launch of a new digitally enabled economy across Africa. Before we go, let's check in with Carmen and Shirley one last time. 
So on Saturday, I received a call from the Jumia delivery person. They said the package was ready for delivery. But since we had put the office address, they couldn't deliver it because no one is in the office on Saturday. I had told them not to deliver because there's nobody at the office. So I asked them to deliver it on Monday. They said, fine. In the meantime, Jumia sent me three emails. Two were, your package is ready to be delivered today. Then the last one said, your delivery failed. So today on Monday, I received a call from the Jumia guy. He said, your package is ready for delivery and where you located. I told him Riverside. I gave him the directions, paid him through M-Pesa. And now the package is here. Well, it is what we ordered. So we'll paste it up and we'll take photos. <laughs> but it's a bit smaller than I expected, but it should do. Until next time.